Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast bracing itself for the red wave. My name is Corey Hazelest and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. And we are delighted to be joined for the first time in absolutely ages by Patrick Cook, our man in New York. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Corey. Hello, Steve. Busy week in American politics. <laughs> yeah, well, in the typical fashion of British political tragics who couldn't name three European prime ministers, but spend all their time reading Twitter threads, analysing the quirky demographics of Harlem County. We're going to talk about the midterm elections in America, which were this week. Work out what do they mean? Patrick, how is America? Uh, it's still here. It's been, a, it's been a little busy, a lot of things, you know, just like, you know, wonderful. Everything is more expensive and smaller than it was like two years ago. Um, but uh, we, we don't have a civil war yet, so I guess that's good. Uh, that's pretty good. So in these midterms, what have the main issues been? What have Republicans been campaigning on? What have Democrats been campaigning on? Uh, well, Democrats uh, definitely pushed a uh, uh, abortion, the economy, climate change, and general like good governance. Uh, Republicans uh, pushed crime. They pushed high gas prices. They pushed, you know, classics, uh, culture, culture issues, gun control, the wonderful, the will of this, the small government, um, and uh, you know, right to life. And everything, everything the Democrats do is evil, and we can't trust them. Sounds about right. And so, so the good government stuff that the Democrats have done, there's been a few, the Biden administration finally seems to have got some stuff passed, which was a bit of an issue when we've been talking before. So what sort of stuff are the Democrats trying to run on that they've passed? Um, well, I think one of the big things that the wonderful courts is one, and I, I would get one as the you know, student loan forgiveness is going to wipe, would, if, 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 if it gets through the court system, is going to wipe out my one on the, the, the unfortunate named IRA Act of 2021. Inflation Reduction Act, which included, you know, um, Medicaid, a big thing, Medicaid allowing to, you know, uh, price cap uh, drugs, which would reduce, which is would be a huge reduction to federal deficit over time. Um, massive, you know, investments in the climate, a very young, new Democratic Supreme Court justice. That's big. A lot of smaller things, too. The most recent thing that's super cool is they're going after junk fees from businesses like, oh, you didn't have enough money in your account. So because you paid a day late, here's a $70 five charge or, you know, oh, you want to use your, you know, all these various hidden and junk fees that you find on stuff like uh, like credit cards or a little bit of paper billing. We got to charge you five dollars there. He kind of made some movement to try to do that, strengthen FTC to go after companies and privacy stuff. But he's gotten a lot done, even though, you know. I mean, he's gotten what Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema will allow him to do for what it's worth. But um, no, it's good. I mean, there's the deficit reduction. There's solid investments um, in, in public transportation and transportation in general. And he got us through as best as he could to divide a country through COVID. I mean, 
still a thing, but I've definitely felt the impact of it. And uh, rich pay more. That's great. Oh, and corporate minimum fifteen tax of 15%. That's big. Hmm. And what was it before? Uh, there wasn't a minimum. So, you know, wonderful, you know, Amazon with $4 trillion of revenue paid a effective negative, uh, uh, negative income tax. So now no matter what their taxes and stuff like that, they're going to have to pay 50%, okay. which is still lower than I will pay for what it's worth as an individual. So that's kind of big. So yes, the Democrats have sort of run on that and tried to run on their record, but everyone was assuming that there'd be big Republican gains. I think partly because, uh, as you say, inflation and gas prices and given usually you'd assume that if the domestic economy is taking a bit of a hit then that would i'll bring you in with after this steve so you'd assume that the incumbent party would take a hit for that um it's not like joe biden's also got great approval ratings it's also also the fact that usually incumbent parties would have bad midterms anyway but that hasn't really happened, has it, Steve? No, it, it hasn't at all. Obviously, the the overall results were less of a, a red wave, or indeed, as they, I think Fox News upgraded everything from a red wave up to a red tsunami at one point. Um, and instead, we've had like a kind of like a red trickle more than anything else. That um, there is an absolute, uh, absolutely delightful video that I saw online earlier today, which was. Uh, I think it was from MSNBC, um, basically just saying, well, where did all of this discussion of the red wave come from? Like, where, 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 where did the assumption appear? And it's just clip after clip after clip of Fox News talking about how the red wave is coming. Here's Lauren Boba talking about the red wave. Here's Ben Shapiro talking about the red tsunami. Here's all of these talking heads that are well known on the right talking about these things and bigging it up and bigging it up and bigging it up. And it is... Such a fascinating um, situation scenario, especially when you contrast it to the UK, where the approach to kind of like expectation management in the UK is always play everything down, make sure that you're you, you, you're not actually be getting being too cocky, so that you can always say, well, that was a delightful surprise, or if it doesn't go your way, it goes well, that was where we expect it to be. The Republicans and the right and Fox News seem to have completely abandoned that, which I think is a very um, important things because they built up expectations so much anything that wasn't that tsunami that wasn't that red wave was bound to be a uh a, a be seen as a poor performance for them because let's be real here they're still probably going to take control of the house which is still a, a major thing to happen then pr- might maybe take control of the senate not looking good for them but it is still possible that they could and if that were to happen, suddenly how we frame and talk about this election would be very different. But because they spent so long talking about that red wave, everything else just seems to not matter. Like suddenly Biden, almost it doesn't matter what the next few kind of like set of results actually are. The narrative has been set that the Republicans didn't do well. And that obviously feeds into Democratic confidence moving forward. It makes the, it makes the, the likelihood of the uh you know the biden administration trying to do more things uh and uh more more strongly 
greater. And it just feeds them, uh, feeds everything and switches the momentum from the Republicans to the Democrats. And that is something I just find absolutely fascinating. And it's all because of they they just overplayed their hand in the run up to it at all completely. Steve, as always, your analysis is spot on. Uh, yeah, I think I wanted to think, too. I mean, yes, you have the regular themes you have, which is the president's party always loses in, in every, every always loses in the midterm. And particularly you add inflation, you add um, a very, you know, redistricting, not in the fate, you know, redistricting overwhelmingly, not in the fate, not in favor of Democrats in most states. Um, yes. And then, you know, a net for, you know, net favorability around 44 percent. But I think there was also to expect there was also this expectation that the Republicans kind of had more enthusiasm going into it than the Democrats did. Right. But it, it was one of those things that, like, again, to like if you have a changing coalition, which we started to see in 2018 and it continued in 2020, in 2022, we we, we will probably see the same thing that it's going to be hard that polling is going to pick. But if you're going to, you know, if you're going to go into expected norms and it and they don't. You would think red wave, but there was a lot of things that I don't think people thought was important. And the voters told them afterwards, we find this important, even though you said you didn't think whoever you polled, they won. So I think it's like a red trickle at this point. But I think if the Democrats should just be very happy that at the end of the day, they lost maybe five, six seats in the one, because that's going to also be impossible for whoever the speaker of the house republican speaker of the house is to keep that group together to vote through his policies democrats might be able to get enough to pull their way adam kinzinger and some of these other very moderates to to push through stuff that they care about yeah so once you end up with only having the, the the talk before was about a 30 or 40 seat gain in the house i think for republicans that tsunami if it's only a trickle in as you say if if there's only sort of two or three senators either, either way uh, two or three house members either way you can start doing politics can't you and you can with a slim select majority try and eke something through rather than just be a lame duck administration for the next two years Slash also, uh, I don't know, uh, people dying if they're an older, you know, when you, when you have a margin of error four or five, and also in, if you guys aren't aware, um, in House seats, governors are not, not allowed to appoint somebody that has to be a special election. Right, okay. Unlike the senator where they can, they can appoint. So, you know, someone, you know, you, that would, could absolutely change in the next two years of what the composition is by the time it gets to 2022. And so you have a very small margin of error on your side. The Democrats seem to have been, had been able to keep it together and get through their stuff. They seem to be more of a cohesive base than Republicans, but it's going to be interesting. Mm. And the, do they, do they have any idea of what they might try and pass in the next couple of years? I think Republicans are going to definitely do, uh, I don't know, impeachment. We know that if they can get their things together and it's going to be a lot of uh, show trials like they've done before. Um, but I am assuming Republicans are going to want to try to repeal the corporate minimum tax rate, core the, the price fix it, the, allow Medicaid to, to uh, negotiate drug costs. And I imagine cuts to entitlement would be my assumption, it would, be, would be my guess. But I think they're probably also, um, I would assume in a, in a lot of authorizations, there's going to be a lot of climate denials. Yeah, allow more oil drilling in the U.S. and 
probably some in, uh, in quotation election integrity bills that they would like to get through would be my uh, assumption. Lovely. So the Republicans have a plan for a cleaner, brighter, happier America. Mm-hmm. What might a Democratic House try and wrangle maybe a couple of more moderate Republicans to pass on the Democrat side? Codifying road, I would imagine they would try to go codifying Roe versus Wade. Uh, I would assume they would try to put push through an, um, some kind of some kind of electoral um, some kind of election reform bill would be my assumption. But I would imagine they would try to push through uh, further expansion of cl- of climate and transportation funding. Uh, and I would probably assume they would. something probably a reform they keep doing it reform to obamacare adding to obamacare over time and making some changes i would imagine and probably some other just general good governance um bills and maybe expanding the supreme court Ooh, watch this space now obviously there's very exciting things on climate change supreme court um but regular listeners will know that you also mentioned electoral reform and so what might be part of an electoral reform package human me patrick um i would say uh standardized vote by mail laws across country and allowing you know mandating early voting uh you know new york for example my wonderful state does not actually have no fault absentee ballots as they call it so you have to have a reason to 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 request a mail one that i would imagine automatic voter registration which is would be big, um, and I would imagine something along the lines of um, stronger rules and redistricting. Um, now, if I was them, I would also I would also pass a uh, a uh, an actual specialized federal court for election for election election law cases, and not have it go through the circuit court system, who actually specialize in what they're doing, along with you know redistricting and all these other ones would be one similar to if you've got heard FISA court, it's a basically the national security court that they have specialized just for that. That's what I would do. Okay, so almost a bit like so in the UK we have an electoral commission, so almost an electoral commission but with its own court. Yeah, so expanding the FEC, Federal Election Commission. And uh, oh, oh, and the other one is uh, trying to limit d- dark money in politics. That kind of got that, you know, those two wonderful court cases kind of like ripped out the teeth of the, you know, McCain-Feingold Act. And on the redistricting stuff, so you said that it was a bad map for Democrats this time because of the sort of republic. Is that because governors, is it governors who have the power to do redistricting in their states? Um, it's state it's state legislature, but it has to be approved by Democrats. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why you see Minnesota not as terrible because they have a Democratic governor and they have a, they had a Democratic House, but so they won one. Um, so they had a re- so Democrats had a really really bad night in 2020 in state legislature races. They don't spend the money that Republicans do. They need to one, and because of that, they lost a bunch of houses. So the Republicans held Republicans held the levers of power in states that don't have what they call redistrict nonpartisan redistricting com- commissions um, to draw these very big gerrymanders in favor of Republicans. Texas, Florida, Georgia. These, a lot of these bigger states that are gained one were controlled by Republicans, so they're able to draw these things around. There were some some successes for Democrats uh, in Illinois, Colorado, 
Oregon, uh, Nevada, and and Arizona in terms of in terms of how they cut those when they added seats. But you know, vast majority vast majority of the of of, of the states that Democrats controlled were lost a dish, lost a lost at least one seat. New York lost it. Pennsylvania lost one. So, but overwhelmingly, they control more levers to do that. But even in the states that do um, redistricting commissions, nonpartisan redistricting commissions, most of those states that those maps still have to be approved by the legislature. So they threw them back to come up with something. There are some ones that go straight to approval of the governor or or have it that that's completely separate. I think Arizona might be like that as I think, but most of them have, they have to go through the legislature to get approved and they can throw it back. Right. So overwhelmingly they just drew a house, drew a, a house map that was favoring Republicans by a lot. And try and, yeah. So try and do something about that. I think the other thing too, I think the other thing too, that related to uh, redistricting is that there's, there is, they call them dummy manders is the term is where you aggressively, your redistricting is so aggressive that it actually becomes less effective. But I think the other thing we talked about this before is that um, also the way the redistricting by 10 years, it's why you guys kind of do yours, those populations shift, right? So they may not be as Republican based on growth and stuff like that, but also like in the case of Republicans, they they have could have a changing coalition. And so they may say, okay, all, you know, college educated you know, tertiary ones vote for us. So we'll let's put them all in the one district. But if they're starting to have a slightly more multicultural, different, you know, stratification of um, of you know income income brackets, and they don't they go based on what they think it is, they actually end up making much more stable purple districts than they think they actually are. Which I would be interested to know how this 2022, how if if that was the case in some of the seats that the Democrats didn't lose or flipped. That's interesting because I suppose a lot of the gerrymandering seems to be when you've got, I think it's especially the case in Texas, isn't it, where you'll have it's the sort of rural urban divide. Yeah. So all the Democratic voters have been cities. So you just make that like one big district and then 470,000 little um, rural country house seats, which will have a population of about 12. That's how you get to Blue Island in Nebraska. They just cut right around all the suburbs of uh, Omaha in one district and make the other ones really red. And, <laughs> and it's Nevada, they're still counting votes there at the moment, aren't they? Because, yeah, so in terms of the actual votes themselves, so we are recording this on Friday evening or Friday afternoon, New York time, uh, which is obviously what we're running on uh, on this one. Uh, wearing our Stetsons and whatever it is you you, you New Yorkers do. I've seen those films. Um, now, what? Don't look at me like that, Steve. Stetsons. All of, all of, all New of, York. Stetsons. All Americans wear Stetsons. It's like, if it's anything, we're talking like mafia movies. So what, what what's a mafia hat to wear? Fedora, maybe? Do, what, what sort of hats do people wear in New York, Patrick? Sports hats, lots of Mets hats, lots of Yankees. That's the most of the hats you see now is for, you know, one of the two baseball teams. <laughs> that makes sense. As so we, New York yeah, is a baseball town. In that case, we'll, we'll don our baseball caps and talk about Nevada. So they're still counting in Nevada. They're still counting in Arizona. They're still counting in Georgia as of recording now. And... um. I suppose it's all about the mail-in votes. I, I'm getting flashbacks 
to to two years ago when we were all glued to John King. Um, but it seems like where the Democrats have done better and where the Republicans have done worse, it tends there tends to be a couple of factors, don't they? You've got if Donald Trump endorsed you, you didn't do very well, and if you deny that the 2020 election, well, if you said the 2020 election was rigged and you denied that Joe Biden rightfully won, you also didn't do very well. Yeah, there definitely does seem to be a bit of a, a trend in, in in that regard. I mean, even even though it's looking like some of the more high profile figures like Lauren Bubba, um, in from, from down Colorado way are, are just about holding on to their seat, there's been a whole host of basically Trump endorsed candidates um who as you can expect are the ones who are have been a lot more the the last election was rigged this is like you know the the, the opportunity for us to you know take back power etc 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 those candidates have taken a significant beating which is one hilarious and wonderful to see um but two very interesting from the political perspective in that it demonstrates that the MAGA wing of the Republican Party isn't winning anymore. You know, it's not sufficient enough to just, you know, turn up and be a Republican um, in a lot of these areas. You need to actually be a decent candidate uh, because uh, an awful lot of the uh, of the electorate wants want grown-up politics in, in, in some form. Or at least uh, they give the appearance of wanting that. So there was uh, there was some uh, 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 some some analysis which has just come out over the past couple of days, which was looking at obviously where the different votes for Democrats had come from and, and things like that. And what they basically found was that there was an increase in sorry, there wasn't necessarily a huge increase in terms of young voters for the Democrats. They did turn out, which is obviously very important. But and they turned out during a midterm, which is you know almost unheard of. Uh, but they but the Democrats did a very good job at winning over independents to the to the blue blue side and winning over Republicans to the blue side as well in a lot of those sort of key areas where the MAGA um, kind of like candidates were 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 front and center. So for the Republicans this presents a massive issue and that it demonstrates that Trump or at least Trump style politics doesn't win elections anymore. So what do they then get into the problem? Okay. What do we do about Trump then? You know, if he does try and throw his hat back into the, into the ring again for the next uh, presidential election, it's not a good sign for his chances of victory. So is a lot of that because of the issues of, that particular kind of right-wing populism. So Trump was successful in 2016 because he tapped into the concerns of a lot of ordinary voters. So talking about unemployment in the Rust Belt, talking about reopening coal mines in some of those states, talking about what I suppose we, we, we sort of were genetically conditioned to call the left-behind communities, talking about corruption and draining the swamp and playing on this idea of corruption in Washington. Uh, in a very similar way to the, to the Brexit campaign, where again, your Brexit campaign talking about immigration, which was a massive issue with the UK electorate at the time. The fact that, it, again, 
highlighting the lack of investment in those areas. And that was a campaign that resonated with lots of ordinary people. Whereas now you see the sort of the Trump wing is um, going just into election denial and rambly notes, trying to find even more outrageous nicknames for Ron DeSantis. And the Brexit, the sort of right wing populist Brexit campaign here ended up doing a budget which crashed the economy doing some mad insane Adam Smith libertarianism nonsense and then pushing some culture war issues around bathrooms and universities which most ordinary people don't care about so I suppose do you have a situation where I'm going to ask the question that Steve asked in a different way which is okay the question is what you do about Trump is there any way that the Republican Party can try and become more moderated? I don't think moderate. I'm not going to go for moderate because that's just a stupid overused term, which won't mean anything. But is there a way that the Republican Party can sort of go back to a sort of vaguely evil populism? I mean, potentially, yes. It's in the form of like Ron DeSantis. Like DeSantis's platform pretty much is just Trump, but I don't want to say more competent because he's not competent in the sense of like actually being doing well at governing and, and things like that, but more acceptable, I guess. He doesn't have the baggage that Trump has. Um, and he's, you know, well known enough to be able to like generate uh, enough enthusiasm and if you look at like the uh the online forums on reddit for for like the conservatives and things like that everybody's massively hopping aboard the Ron DeSantis train already so that's probably where they're heading whether or not that is a moderate or moderated I suppose is a question that's up for debate well can you tell us about Ron DeSantis and Patrick because as as Regular listeners to your episodes will know you're a massive fan of all things Florida. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you're being sarcastic at this point. I uh, we, we need to teach I you about the British sense of irony, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I have one. I have one personal rule: never to step foot in the state of Florida. Um, which is hard because my father bought an apartment down there, but that's a side effect. Don't blame me. Uh, Apologies but, uh, to our Florida listeners. They know what they did. They they agreed to it. <laughs> Ron DeSantis is basically uh, Trump, yet he went to, he's a Harvard-educated lawyer with less baggage, right? He, he goes to the same tailor, so all of his suits don't fit uh, as uh, Trump. But, I mean, the question is, like, I don't, like, yes, Ron, Ron DeSantis is a competent one. He's actually run a state. Um, you know, people thought he did well in COVID, right? It, it, so, like, he would be, the, he is probably, if the Trump, if the Trump kind of way, the Trump, Trump, Trumpian Republican Party is the way they're going to go forward, it's probably going to be Ron DeSantis. But the reason that Trump Trump really worked in 2016 was he had no record and could say, I'm a businessman, I'm going to run this country different. And that's continually will always be something that 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 voters in America think that um, businessmen are going to run the country better, which is like not really the case it'd be say hey i ran a massive nonprofit for, and and you know kept it together oh yeah you'd be a good president because that's basically kind of what public services is nonprofit, right um i just don't know if like 
I mean, Ron DeSantis, you know, is probably going to be the one. But like the question is, you didn't put probably Ted Cruz up there, like with a slightly different version of Republican Party. Does what makes it out of the pri- primary if in, in there and whether that and whether, you know, Ron being kind of is and people know who he is and there's no there's a everybody kind of has an opinion on him, whether that actually would work on the national level. I don't know. But to the point of Republican Party, there is a limit to victim politics. Everybody's mean at mean at us, and you know Democrats did this at a point, and you kind of saw that kind of lose the you know road, and that, that is slowly becoming the the Democrat the Republican Party, and it will affect them on in in crucial seats, and crucial governorships, and stuff like that along the way. That you know they they don't have they don't produce a credible other than everybody everything you know democrats do is terrible and we're just gonna want to lower taxes and then don't do that sooner or later people are going to realize that they're you know people are going to realize that they're not these small government fiscal conservatives that they pretend to be they're soldier conservatives and you know and run on uh, cancer culture which nobody likes you know i i think which is what they use this time and it worked kind of successful but yeah i mean what do do they move on from Trump? The question is, I don't think they can right now because I think there's still a solid amount of Republican primary voters that that still like Trump, and they will have one. And also, most of the Republican state state you know kind of party chairs and stuff are all Trump people that got there on on a Trump one, so they're kind of probably stuck with Trump for another four years. I mean, the best thing for the Dem- for the Democrats would be Trump to continue being a pain in the neck to the Republicans all through 2024 because it would really make them make it make make it easier for them to flip you know th- you know flip the House and hold the Senate right. Um, but they don't really have a credible economic message. And I think Ron DeSantis kind of could do that. But I think there's a difference on kind of Florida, which people, you know, the Florida voters don't tend to, you know, their economy does really well, but has nothing really, there's not really, there's not much that he, I don't think he has a great message on it. But like, I don't know if he would be able to take that message across you know, to Michigan, to Wisconsin, to into the, you know, these no to, to the battlegrounds and they would believe it. They would believe him because they kind of believed, you know, the state oil salesman in 2016 and did it in 2020. But I mean, like Michigan for itself is a very different state now than it was in 2016. They have, there's a Democratic trifecta. You know, they held all powers. They, they they've they've elected people elected, you know, it's a very different one. And Wisconsin is, you know, with a very good Democratic Party is starting to change is starting, you know, start is starting to, you know, organize better. And it's like not the same thing. I don't know if his message of victimhood and cancel culture, yet I am a Harvard educated lawyer and I I do less gas and I have less gas than uh, Trump is going to be enough to get them over the line in those states. But at the same time, Florida and its 34 votes which seems lost to Democrats are in the bag for him, which is huge. Yeah, and it feels like Florida isn't really a, a swing state anymore. It's being either uh, Ohio. No, um, that was really interesting. Except I think you, you started talking about the UK concept. This is meant to be about American politics rather than UK <laughs> politics, and you started talking about <laughs> someone who says they're low tax, but actually is increasing taxes and doesn't have a credible economic policy is just running on council culture trying to distance himself from the gaff prone predecessors you know it's not we're not talking about rishi sunak we're talking about cornwall right <laughs> i can't remember 
maybe we're talking about Jeremy Hunt. Who knows? <laughs> um, I, I suppose, yeah, I suppose the point is, I, I don't want to start speculating about the result of the uh, 2024 presidential race before the midterm <laughs> results are counted. But it feels like in 2016, you had a governor of Florida who seemed like a pretty formidable election winning politician up against Trump, who was just a bit of a joke and written off. And now in 2020, you have a governor of Florida who seems a pretty formidable politician up against Donald Trump, who everyone's writing off and thinking he's a bit of a joke. And it wasn't a, a recent poll that sort of had Trump on 65% of Republicans and DeSantis on something like 25 yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you did have a situation where both DeSantis and Trump went for it, it would get very, very bloody for the Republicans, I suspect. More than a red trickle. Maybe that's the red tsunami. That's one of the descriptions that, about like the red wave and everything that was given. I think it was by Ben Shapiro was like, it's like that scene in the, it's going to be like that scene in The Shining where the lifts open and all the blood spills out. It's like, that's not a good image to utilize for your you know supposed victory campaign in um, poetry and governing prose steve <laughs> yeah indeed um but it's ben shapiro so you knew like you kind of you're like you know he doesn't know what he's talking about uh you know he pulled some you know he's just a robot he pulled together some words together and put it up there because uh i don't think he's a real human because i don't think you could own yourself that much and not and, and be and have human empathy <laughs> Uh, anyway, what were we talking about? Because um, I've lost myself with Ben Trump Shapiro. Trump DeSantis was going to get bloody. Oh, yeah. So Trump and DeSantis is going to get uh, potentially very bloody. Uh, Trump is already throwing out, you know, childish names at DeSantis. Uh, so if you do have to have a, you know, a head-to-head between the two of them, uh, you know, Trump's got his absolute loyalists. The Republican Party as an organisation probably wants to fall behind DeSantis rather than Trump. And it could be absolutely disastrous for them because if they're not careful, you're going to end up in a situation where Trump applies the same sort of ridiculousness that he's been applying to every other election to the Republicans. If he loses, it will be it will be well. Clearly, they've rigged it against me. I'm going to go for a third party candidate now. And even if it's even if he doesn't do that, even if he doesn't try and do a writing campaign or or, or whatever else that would potentially be sufficient to turn off a lot of Republican voters to go, no, I don't want to, I don't want to vote for the, for DeSantis. So it really is a massive headache for the Republicans as to, as to how they progress this. If Trump decides not to do it or for, or maybe legally can't, because that's always also a, a potential thing given the uh, continuation of various uh, investigations into him, uh, then yeah, it, it it could be very very messy. So get the popcorn. Is that the uh, more of the red wedding uh, in twenty twenty four one? Uh, I think also the thing to remind to to always remind people is that, and this is the nature of the wonderfulness of like uh, intra party battles, is that primary Republican primary voters are very different than than people that vote for Republicans in general, because it includes independents and, you know, includes maybe people, uh, Dianos, as they call them, Democrats, no, name only. But so uh, Republican primary is always going to be slightly lower turnout, much lower turnout. So you kind of get the, you know, the, the more idealistic people that party, you know, believe, you know, the 
kind of like party uh, purist or stuff like that. And, you know, there may be enough people in 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 of that of the lower turnout expected, you know, in, in Republican primaries that still believe in Trump's one because they still think it could win, even though they that it won't. So, like, there's a very, very good chance that, you know, Trump will get enough votes to, you know, um, in the first four, four states, which is not win or take all to really kind of make a very hassle for the Republicans, no matter what going going forward but also he could also just continue to do what he wanted which is raise money and not give money to people to republican candidates who want only siphoning money away that should be used on the you know republican you know you know general election machine that he then is uh badly spending on i would imagine true social stock would be my guess um or ads you know but so um as a as a uh Democratic Party hack. Yeah, stay in as long as you want. It would be better for my party and my my interests for you to not go away quietly. Shall we end on that absolute uh, amazing display of partisanship? With which I thought was going to end in a vaguely inspiring message of you just have to you know keep your base and reach out to the floating voters by being nice and sensible and just ending with no, actually they can all. They can all go to hell in a handcart. I don't, as long as my side wins, which is a very inspiring message, isn't it? Sorry, I left my uh, I left I, I I left a joy in the other room. I only brought the pessimism over with me. <laughs> well, that's fine. It's very on brand for the podcast. Because, um, if you want to hear more inspiring messages? What could you possibly do, Steve? Uh, well, you could potentially head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, where for a few pounds every month, you'll get access to unique episodes that we record for our backers. Um, the odd article here and there. Yeah, it's all, all good fun and games. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not enough champagne. Our Twitter handle for the time being is at no champagne pod. Uh, James Cram designed our logo and Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Bookie Good Times. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at PepButtWriter. Steve? I'm at AcousticRadical. And Patrick? I'm at PCook11. We're not um, on. Come say hi before Twitter creators and it's no longer a thing in the next couple of weeks. That Can't is wait. a genuine risk, yeah. We'll have to go to Mastodon, whoever he is. <laughs> Happy flossing, everyone. <laughs>